Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And the title for this episode is Coronavirus in giant capital letters. We have a working title, though, because you know us. So or how the coronapocalypse or shelter in place or whatever you're facing these days can make us be better humans. And we are recording this. Basically, if you're listening to it as it gets released, we're recording it yesterday. As in, here we are on St. Patrick's Day after you're dealing with leprechaun stuff for your children. And we want to talk about it because it's real and want to offer a couple of things and perspectives to you, given the changes, the rapid, rapid changes that have happened. Well, first of all, here's a gift. Ready? (laughs) This is a torturous thing that my brother told me about. And do you know the song, Come On Eileen? Come on, Eileen. Na, 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 na. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Now insert COVID-19. Na, 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 na. <laughs> You'll never unhear it. I really wish I could write this second. <laughs> so I was like, mm, I don't know a lot of people who know the song, Come on, Eileen. What? I don't. I mean, listen, has my husband ever mentioned that song? So you're saying Come on, Eileen is a white people song? Yes. Second to Don't Stop Believing. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. But I might be skewed because I have the kid whose, you know, 20 second hand washing song instead of Happy Birthday is the chorus of Hot Shower by Chance the Rapper sung twice. So hopefully that was in his head when he still had school, hopefully. And I don't know that song. So (laughs) that's awesome. We're just trading cultural points here. So yeah. All right. Well, I think, you know, one of the important things that we need to talk about, and I'm going to sort of throw in all of my years of positive psych training into the beginning of this episode, because one of the things I really want to offer you is some perspective on mental health, given, first of all, five days ago, all our kids were in school. Both of our children now are out of school. The change that has happened in this last week of loan is very dramatic. And it's for those of you listening in areas where kids are still in school, you might expect changes to come as well. And so that can create a lot of anxiety. Change can be really difficult. And I wanted to just offer a little perspective from a wellness angle before we dive into the usual conversations that we have. And so I wanted to talk today about the power of meditation and mindfulness and I'm really grateful that Misasha, you did an eye roll at that point because you and I have differed with our experience about this. But, you know, if you are more mindful of stuff, you can be more aware. Your attention, your ability to focus changes. And there are so many studies that show that the practice can help relieve stress. It can help you manage anxiety, reduce inflammation, improve your memory and attention. I mean, all of these things. And so given all of our stresses, given the changes, I want to offer a little meditation. So before I dive into it, I want to just explain also a little bit about the type of meditation I'm going to do. And I'm going to lead a gratitude meditation. And here's why. Actually, you know what even is better? I'll tell you about a study because ultimately it's finding that gratitude and anxiety don't really coexist at the same time. And there was a study that took students at a university who were looking for mental health counseling and they split them into three groups. And They basically had one group write a letter of gratitude to another person each week. The second group just sort of wrote about their negative thoughts. And the third group didn't do any writing at all. And those who wrote the gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health four weeks and 12 weeks after their writing exercise ended. And that's pretty significant. If you just are writing a letter, you don't even have to send it. 
it actually makes a huge difference to your well-being. And it was basically because they found when people used fewer negative emotion words in their letters, they were significantly more likely to report better mental health. So if you think about the words we're using in our life, this is a disaster. Oh my God, the kids are going to drive me crazy. If we cut those words out and instead focus on the positives, the thing we're grateful for, we're likely to be better because of it. Another reason why I think gratitude is really important is they did like they actually put people in a scanner and they had them do a pay it forward task. Basically, the individuals in the study were given a small amount of money by this nice person. They called him the benefactor. And the only stipulation was that this benefactor asked that they pass the money on to someone else if they felt grateful. And what wound up happening is that those people who were generally more grateful gave more money to a cause. They had this sort of in the scanner, they found that they had more brain activity and sensitivity in the area of the brain associated with learning and decision making. And so basically, the more grateful you are, the more you pay attention to how you're expressing it. And I think in this day and age when people are going to need our help, gratitude can also be that thing that helps us look for opportunities to help one another. And so hence the meditation on gratitude. I am going to do probably a little bit more of this on my own Instagram account, not on the podcast, because those are two different things. But I just think that it's really an opportunity for us to at least experiment with it. If you're driving, please don't meditate right now. (laughs) If you're at home, like the two of us. All of the Bay Area, too. Shelter in place. This is a great shelter in place meditation, people. It'll be a short one. And we can do this. We're going to do it around our body this time. But you can do this with all of your senses at different times. So if you want to just replicate this for yourself at any given time, you can do it with sight or touch or smells or sounds. We're going to do it for our bodies right now. It'll be really quick. So play along if you wish. Otherwise, fast forward, I don't know, like two minutes and we'll go from there. So you ready? Okay. (sighs) Take a deep breath and settle in. See how your body can feel supported where you are, whether it's sitting down and you feel really grounded on your seat, whether you're leaning back on something. Notice how your feet can get supported. Maybe you want to lie down and your whole body can be supported. And when you feel like you're grounded, you're good, consider closing your eyes and take a few deep breaths, not just in your chest, but start taking a few breaths from your belly button in through your nose and out in and out. Feel your body and we'll start at the bottom. Where are you today with your body? And what do you notice? Can you move your feet? How about your calves? How are your knees feeling today? How about your quads and your hips? Maybe sway a little as you go into your lower back. Keep breathing. Think about each breath you're able to take right now. Think about those who might be having a harder time breathing And think about how grateful you are at what is working in your body. As you keep going up your spine, think about your shoulders, your neck. Roll things out. Go down both your arms. How are they doing? And your fingers, can you move them? Give thanks that your fingers can still move and you can use all the technology that we have during this period of social isolation because your hands are still working. Let's go back up to our throats. 
and our jaws that can chew the food that we have, our nose that's still smelling all the smells, our eyes that can take in all the information that we choose to let in, our ears that can hear all the background noises, even if it is kids at home, they're here with you. And move it on up to your brain that gets to process, gets to make choices, think, love, feel, and be grateful for all that we still have in our bodies right now. Take a few more deep breaths to be grateful for all that our bodies are doing for us right here, right now, for the rest of the day. And when you're ready, hold that moment of gratitude for yourself and open your eyes. So there we are. Just a moment. It doesn't have to take long. Did you survive that, Misasha? I did. It sounded to me a lot like what we used to say at the end of bar three classes, which I loved, just those moments of feeling yourself in your body. So I think this will help me with my strong inner monologue today. Maybe I'll choose, reframe some of the words I use in my head to describe certain things. Right. Well, and that's one thing that the words we choose, like I said before, are so important, as opposed to I have to do this, just shifting it to I get to do this has it changes things from this mindset of like, oh my gosh, what a drag to I really don't have to do any of it, but I am allowed to I can I am grateful that I get to because even if it's with the kids, for example, for me, I get to read I mean, yes, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory might get annoying to read after a little while, but we're reading it out loud. And we're actually really enjoying it. And we can make the most of it. I get to read it to my kid because my kid's healthy. I'm healthy. Well, one of them's coughing, so fingers crossed. But, uh, you know, we get to do all these things. So let's be really, really grateful because as we're going to get into in the rest of this conversation with a bunch of stats and information that we think is really critical for you all to know, not everybody is as lucky as any of us are because if you're listening to the podcast, something is still going right for you. You have internet connection. You have the ability to hear this. You are healthy enough to pay attention to something that is not survival. So since obviously on this podcast, we don't just talk about one narrative, we'll have a lot more information soon. But so tune in or keep going with this one. But I think the upside is, because I was really looking at it being like, oh my gosh, this is really revealing a lot of ugliness about our society right now. I also think there's a huge upside, which is that we're going to be closer together as communities. And Misasha, you and I on the podcast have always said, we rise by lifting others. And we've also said that we think each one of us can take steps whatever those steps are that have ripple effects on others. And I think both of those things are so clear in our society's reaction to coronavirus right now. So I think we're going to mention information later that touches on issues we've brought up, like school lunch stats, school closures, broken healthcare system, which ironically, but that was the episode we were going to release today. We're going to push that back to next week to get this more timely piece out to you. But, you know, we've talked about the powers the president has that he may not have used or could have done better with, you know, the worries about how we are treating foreigners and how some Asian people are being spat upon in this country. So each of you listening has thoughts on all this and feelings about this. I, we will come back to that information, but I really want to talk a little bit about our humanity for a moment, because when I talk about positive psych and the impact, like right now you're in shelter in place, 
we're basically in this, you know, stay at home thing as well. All the restaurants and bars have closed down. They're doing takeout service. All this sort of stuff is happening. We happen to be, you and I, Misasha, lucky, I'll say this, that we're home with our families. There are people who are going to be home alone that don't live with a family. And time alone can change our behavior and emotional responses. And they can actually even change the physical structure of our brain. Isolation can really raise the risk someone is going to experience depression or anxiety. And when you're alone, I don't know if you've ever done this rumination where you just sort of go over the same worrying thoughts over and over and over again. Ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. That is all stuff that can happen for those who spend time alone. So going back to I'm grateful, I am grateful that I am here with my family. And I also know there are people on my block alone who are alone in their place. So I think it's important that we realize that and we make an effort to reach out because I have always said relationships are the cornerstone of our long-term health and happiness. That's based on positive psych. And this that we're in right now is an unprecedented situation. This idea of social distancing, the fear that's developing around it, we're really pushing the boundaries of what it means to interact with another human being. Have you ever had that awkward, like before all the lockdown happened, did you have that awkward situation where you like tried to go shake someone's hand? Well, yes. Well, you know, I teach fitness classes and that was really tricky because we're used to high-fiving. We're used to physical hands-on adjustments and suddenly we weren't high-fiving anyone. I mean, I never realized how often I hugged people throughout the day till this happened. And I have heard multiple people say that. So yeah, I've done that awkward like kick high. Like, I mean, seriously, I'm not exaggerating. The from a distance elbow bump, which is the social distancing elbow bump. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, what a cool opportunity to reflect on what you normally do. It turns out I'm a hugger as well. That's surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. I love love. It's awesome to spread love. And I love hugging. I just, to me, it's like, you're awesome. Let me take you in my circle, right? And I had that thing where I was like, was at a meeting and I went to reach someone's hand. They gave me a fist and then we went for the elbow and you're like, (laughs) now, as you say, it'll be like a six foot away elbow bump. If you even see people on the streets, which you're not allowed to do anymore either, you know. So I want to just give a couple of pointers from our friend, Dr. Sue Varma. She has been all over the Today Show and the Dr. Oz Show and all this sort of stuff. But I met her last year at the World Happiness Summit. And we're going to be interviewing her in a few weeks about other issues, which at least was the original plan. Who knows? Maybe COVID-19 is still going to be dominating our headlines. Oh, my God. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to just share with you some of the tips that she's been giving to make sure we're really managing our mindset around this. Because you have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice. We have a choice. Okay. We are, I have a thing about not watching the news, which fits into this. So point number one is she says, limit your news sources, limit them to really reliable places like the CDC. I mean, it's not even a news source, but it's a reliable source of information about this virus because we want to limit the level of intrusions which spike our anxiety. You know, you hear about, oh no, now Italy's death rate has increased. I mean, yes, it's good to know, but that might make us worry more. So instead of dealing with things like what's going on abroad, see if you can focus on reliable sources and on what's going on locally. 
Yeah, I completely agree because I'm the type of person who will read all the news and that's sort of, I don't watch it, I read it. But the curse of being able to read really fast is you consume a lot of news, which is not good. And it's definitely not better in this day and age. And a word about Nextdoor, which I think everyone who listens knows that I have sort of a love slash fascination slash hatred of. It sort of runs the gamut. But then clarifying Nextdoor again, we've said this in a past episode, but it's an app for your neighborhood, basically, and sort of the surrounding neighborhoods around you. So it's meant to be very local. But in the age of COVID-19, it has taken on sort of a different tenor, both positive and negative. So in an area like ours, where we have a lot of, we have a higher rate of people testing positive or more cases than some other areas where you may be listening, when someone's posting on Nextdoor that they heard of someone testing positive or whatever, those happened a lot before the shelter in place order, ignore those. Those are not going to be impactful in your life one way or another, except to spike anxiety. So Mm -hmm. good point. Really good point. The second thing she says is, we do need something to do. And that might explain a little bit about why all this fear buying is happening. You know, people, the toilet paper shortage, I'm sure you've heard of that. What there's, what she was saying was just buy only what you need for a defined period of time and think about how you can separate emotion from fact. Because if you're buying things or doing things out of fear, it doesn't often make sense and it doesn't help us as a society. And so when you think about things you can do, what she was saying, because that makes sense, right? You're worried about something. Oh my gosh, I got to do something. I've got to have some control over a situation that basically none of us have much control over, yep. except for social distancing, which is what they're recommending. Here are things you can do that are helpful. One, make regular phone calls or video calls to people you love or who are in your immediate community. I have many times where I get frustrated with technology, but I am really impressed with the beauty of what is coming out of this right now, where people are using tech for good, sharing positive messages, sharing resources to keep your kids entertained and all of this sort of stuff. The second thing is think about how you can help those who need food and medicine and basics, especially if they're immunocompromised or they're elderly and would be really risking a lot to go out to get things themselves. That is incidentally the best use of Nextdoor that I have seen in this time period is people saying, hey, I'm able-bodied, I'm well, I'm happy to run errands and leave things at the door of people who can't get out there or who are elderly or who may be immunocompromised. So you really see neighbors stepping up to help neighbors offering toilet paper, which is basically like gold these days. But that is really affirming and heartwarming and restores faith in humanity in a whole host of ways and just reminds us how close we are. Totally agree. We've had that on Facebook, actually. Our community has really rallied around Facebook. And they even came up with a new group called, you know, this neighborhood's name Cares. And anybody who wants to offer help or who is in search of help is sort of gathering on that. And it has been a beautiful thing to see. So consider setting something like that up for your neighborhood if it doesn't already exist. The other thing to remember is that if there are things that you have no control about, don't worry maybe think about just sort of let's wait and see, because it turns out that 85% of the time, the things we worry about don't actually happen. So instead of worrying, what if you looked at this as an opportunity to look at the positive, think about all that you've already accomplished and tackled in your life, give yourself credit for the possibility that you'll be able to handle whatever is going to come your way. We've already come a long way in five days and we've handled it so far. We're going to be able to handle this. 
and take it one day at a time. Yeah, I love that because I think, you know, everyone has watched enough end of the world movies to have this moment where they're like, wait, wasn't that how this apocalyptic movie started? But the answer is, you know, there are so many things out of our control, but and it does change so fast. So there is no way to wrap your mind around that. So we need to be happy with where we are and what we are doing and know that we are doing the best we can. Totally. Well, and then to that end, you know, I talked a lot about what we can do for others, but what we can do for ourselves, the science, I mean, is really clear about some basic things that we can do every day (laughs) to feel happier. You know, one is you can exercise. There are so many online platforms, but moving your body every day, even when you're in a small space, it's possible to do and it's important to do. Get enough sleep, drink plenty of water, think about how you're going to make sure you're eating healthy enough foods. And I think it's just going back to basics. Let's keep ourselves as healthy emotionally and physically as we can, given the circumstances that we're in. And then the last bit I want to just mention is something my friend Jamie Myers of Shine Life Design says. And she says, sometimes when you can't not do something and you can't give it to someone else to do, like a thing, a task, what if you just change up the energy? And music is a really great tool to do that. You know, you can pick a musician of the day that you want to learn about. You know, one of my friends did that where their family picked day one, Beyonce, and they were bopping around learning all about her, baking to her music, you know, pick your challenges and just go with it. Yeah. I mean, personally, we have this great book called Maps. And each day, the kids are going to pick one country that we don't know anything about. And we're going to learn about other people. So we picked Namibia, which I'm pretty sure my younger son picked because he thought there were cheetahs. So then we went on a virtual safari in Namibia, thanks to technology, which was amazing. Yes, there were no cheetahs. So that resulted us going down a rabbit hole of cheetahs. But just so you know, there are so many things out there to sort of change perspective, change moods change the focus. Totally. And also, have we ever had this much time in our own spaces? I'm actually really excited to do some reorganizing and throwing stuff out. And like, we're here, we're locked down and a lot of stuff is slowing down. So just look around at all the opportunities and be grateful that we're here. That's my thing. I love it. And so it wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't, you know, acknowledge that now that we've gone into, since we've gone into sort of, and thank you for that meditation, Sarah, that was awesome. And we've talked a little bit about how we're going to handle this and taking care of ourselves. Let's step back again and just recognize that we are in that place of privilege that you mentioned at the start of the episode, because we're not worried on a very visceral level about, you know, or about anything bigger than how are we going to, you know, homeschool our kids? Or how are we maybe going to get more toilet paper? We are not worried about basic survival. So, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but did you know that nearly 22 million low-income kids from communities across the country rely on the free and reduced price meals that they receive at school? And for many of those, as we've discussed, those might be the only nutritious food they'll receive on a given day. So when schools close, as you're probably seeing a lot more in the news, those meals disappear. So there are some great organizations out there like No Kid Hungry, which is a personal favorite of our families, which really has in the past focused on bridging that gap between the school being out during the school year and the school starting in the following year to make sure kids are fed over the summer. But now they're shifting their focus, obviously, to kids who are need to be fed right now or blessings in a backpack, which also ensure that kids have what they need to be successful at school. 
that are taking steps to make sure that these kids are taken care of, even if schools are closed. And as we're seeing those school closure notices are happening every day in big districts where you have a lot of people relying on those free and reduced lunches. Now, everybody listening, just pause for a second and think about where you're at and imagine not having food. And imagine if you're a child and you can't understand why, but you're really, really, really hungry. And also think about what that means for their immunity if you're not well fed, right? So this is like empathy 101. Innocent children not able to be fed in our country. And it's not a small number of them. It's really kind of crazy. Yeah. I'm going to talk about federal programs and school districts right after I say this piece. But one of the best posts I saw next door recently in the past couple of days was, do you need help feeding your child? And it was a woman who had written a post saying, if you are worried about how you are going to feed your child, please send me a private message and I will get you food, whatever it is. And I thought that that was just such a basic need that she was meeting. And it was such a huge gesture, even though, you know, it was three lines of text. So if you're thinking about what you can do out there, that's a really simple thing on a Facebook page on, you know, a group app, knowing if your neighbor is in that group or not, you know, there are small things that you can do that have a big impact. But on the federal level, you know, there are federal nutrition programs out there like SNAP and school meals that are the front line of defense for fighting child hunger. And No Kid Hungry has provided a lot of recommendations to the Secretary of Agriculture, so which is really trying to push the USDA to provide flexibility in how kids access meals when schools are closed. And Sarah, I know you and I have been sharing sort of stories of what's happening in our communities where there is going to be meals available for pickup, although it's sort of restricted as to who can be there to pick up the food and the hours of pickup, but at least there are public school systems that recognize this need and are making this food available, at least at the time of our recording. Right, which I think is huge. Think about the people who are showing up at the schools or making these meals too. Like they are getting out of their homes in order to provide these meals for children. And I've been really grateful to see you know, our Denver public school system is offering bag lunches, grab and go, breakfast and lunch, and dinner for kids. At first, it was age one to 18, but then they realized there's kids who are older than 18 who need this, so they've extended it to age 21. And in order to get federal assistance, they needed to have the kids there, but even if the kids can't make it to pick up, because there's only like eight schools within this district, for example, that are giving out this food, other people in our neighborhood or in Denver are offering to grab those meals for kids and deliver them wherever they need to go. This is really amazing. So I'm glad that districts are stepping up. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple more besides Denver, which is awesome. In Seattle, more than a quarter of the districts, nearly 54,000 students qualify for free or reduced lunch, according to their data. So for those students, starting this week, the district is planning to hand out meals. And some individual schools and teachers also sent kids home this week or this last week with suitcases and rolling backpacks full of food, according to the Seattle Times. The North Shore School District near Seattle also said it would keep its 22 2,000 students from attending school during the outbreak and offer online learning. And that district is providing limited home food delivery and distributing meals to special drop sites for students impacted by the school closures. And that Seattle is particularly relevant because they are in about as strict of a lockdown as we are. And so these measures that they're taking show that this is such a priority that they are willing to have these measures in place. And it is such an essential function of our society to do so. 
And so I think one of the big cities that's been in the news recently is New York City, because New York City is the country's largest public school system, and it has more than 1.1 million kids in their system, 74% of whom qualify for free or reduced price meals. I mean, if you think about that number, that is a gigantic number. And it was until this week reluctant to close because it knew the issues that closure would pose for parents who are too poor to afford either childcare, especially if you're in an essential function, or regular meals. So officials are offering grab-and-go service for kids who need to pick up their breakfasts and lunch because they can't while their schools, which are now totally closed, were starting to close. So I think we're going to see a lot more districts looking at how they can get food to kids who need it. But just know that you have in each district, there are kids who fully depend on schools to get at least two, if not all of their meals, basically, for the day. And I think just I want to asterisk this because we've talked about it before, but never has this crazy dependence on the school system as a form of daycare and food for children been such an issue, but I think it's something that we need to think about as a society once we emerge from this crisis, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Because that's really, it's scary that in this country, this is what's happening. And I'm really glad people are standing up for it, but it is overall just something to, you know, be like, wow, that's broken. Yeah, completely. I think that this should be on that list of things that we look at again, really hard when we have the ability to do so. Um, So what I also love, especially as a lawyer, is those moments where judges stand up and do what is decent. I can't even say it's right. It's just based on human decency. So a federal court basically at the end of last week blocked the Trump administration's rule that we've discussed that would have forced 700,000 low-income Americans to lose access to SNAP, which is a Supplemental Nutrition Access Program, or food stamps, on April 1st. So Judge Beryl A. Howell, who's the chief judge of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, cited the coronavirus pandemic in her decision to suspend the rule from going into effect. She said, especially now, as a global pandemic poses widespread health risks, guaranteeing that government officials at both the federal and state levels have flexibility to address the nutritional needs of residents and ensure their well-being through programs like SNAP is essential. So she did she expressed concerns about the impacts amid the pandemic. You know, as we talked about and as we urged listeners to do, the measure, which was going to take away the food stamps, also received more than 100,000 negative responses when it was open to public comment. Remember that period where, you know, we wrote in and we asked others to write in? So the judge acknowledged this. And she said, you know, the court, that is her, had determined that aspects of the final rule are likely unlawful because they're arbitrary and capricious. So citing the Administrative Procedure Act, her opinion says that unless the agency has considered the relevant evidence, has weighed the consequences of its actions, and has rationally justified its choices, the rule is unlawful. And in her mind, aspects of the USDA's rule did not pass that legal hurdle, she wrote, and the agency's argument that a temporary injunction would be an abuse of power seemed only an attempt to limit the judicial branch's authority. So she said, and I loved this part, the agency's objection to the issuance of a nationwide preliminary injunction, so basically to have people stop receiving this aid, should be seen for what it is, a bold and bald-faced effort to restrict the exercise of Article 3, that is of the Constitution, judicial power 
to basically make the executive branch more powerful. This court declines the invitation. I just love that. I was like, that was a giant mic drop on the part of Judge Howell. Only you can see the beauty of the judicial mic drop. But (laughs) I do think that that's really... Not just me, although I might have gotten slightly more excited about it than like 99% of the people who are listening. No, I think that that's really good. And you know, one of the things about SNAP, and I don't know if it's related, but you know, the WIC, the Women, Infants and Children program, one of the things I learned thanks social media is that if you're at the store and you see that little red WIC on like the label, not of the food item, but on the pricing label on the shelves, see if you can buy something else because those are the items that are approved for people who are qualifying for programs like this. So if those items are sold out, they cannot get it. So if you need a block of cheddar cheese and there's two different types and one has WIC in the little red on the label, go for the other one and leave those for people who really, really need it. Yeah, I think that's really important because I think that a lot of, especially if you have never needed federal assistance in that way, you would not be familiar with what those labels mean and that you would think that food stamps mean food stamps regardless that you can sort of, you know, you're given sort of money in a way and you can spend that however, but that's not the case. So thank you for bringing that up because that's really important, especially in a time of, you know, at least perceived shortages. All right. So, and it's not just judges too, who are trying to fight the good fight here, you know, in sort of a hopefully rare bipartisan or not hopefully rare, but she's opposite, (laughs) but in a a, truly rare, in a truly rare, but hopefully not the last time bipartisan move, you know, the House of Representatives passed a coronavirus aid package early this past weekend after the Democrats and the Trump administration reached a deal that includes free testing, paid emergency leave, and other resources intended to help stem the crisis and stabilize financial markets. So that vote was hugely in favor, and that set up a Senate vote, which, you know, as of the time of this recording has not yet happened, but all signs point to, you know, this passing through the Senate, and President Trump has indicated that he was looking forward to signing it to hopefully... That's accurate. And that we can get aid, which would also, you know, include a whole bunch of other stuff, because Pelosi had said that the legislation would facilitate free coronavirus testing, including for the uninsured. The measure would also include two weeks of paid sick leave and paid family and medical leave, which is especially important as that is often done on a state by state or company by company or even city by city basis. So to assist people who lose their jobs amid the outbreak, Pelosi said the bill strengthens unemployment insurance and boosts food security initiatives like food stamps, what we were just talking about. It also increases federal funds for Medicaid to support our local state, tribal, and territorial governments and health systems so they have the resources necessary to combat this crisis, she said. I think that's really important. And, you know, just going back to how, you know, we can help in our communities, there is still a really important role, not only of the school districts, but individual schools and communities to make sure that we can get goods to people who really need them. So oftentimes, and in the county that I am in, our county website is really robust with not only updates about all of the restrictions around COVID-19, but also the places that you can go in the county where if you need help with food, if you need help with medicine, if you need, you know, even testing now, because we do have some testing available in our county. So be sure to check all of those local pages because they can also tell you how you can help. The other thought I had that was brought to my attention yesterday was a lot of children's hospitals have had to close 
all of their, you know, community play centers. So the kids who are in the hospitals can't, there's nothing for them to do. There's no toys, no anything. So they have asked if you can donate new toys to the people, the kids at the children's hospital so that they have something to do while they are there, regardless of whether it's for coronavirus or other illnesses that they are struggling with. That's another place to look at that might not have occurred to all of us. I have heard that too. And I've also heard that certain places are accepting, you know, letters or cards if you are thinking about, because a lot of places now, like skilled nursing facilities, cannot accept outside visitors. So I'm going to do like a question, though, because from what I understand, even our local library said don't return books through the automated system because you might have basically like coughed or sneezed on the book and the virus lives on the book and whatever. So I'm really curious if the letter writing thing is smart or... It has been cleared in certain places, and I would encourage you to make sure that it is cleared by the place that you are thinking about doing that, because it has not been cleared everywhere in the county, that is for sure. And this exact same question came up in the county when this was first proposed, because it was originally proposed with regard to the cruise ship passengers that were being held in our county in isolation. And it was a true back and forth on that. So I'm not saying this is exactly what everyone should be doing, but that may be something that may be available in your community. And it has been in restricted ways in ours because we have not been receiving that same even in a shelter in place, we have not received information about not returning books or, you know, certain things like that. So I think that information is still like unclear, you know, but you should do what makes sense for your family and your safety first. All right, cool. That makes sense. So we've talked about the bigger federal picture, the legal picture, which I'm really glad that they're doing because, you know, there's a lot of ripple effects financially that's going to be happening. And we just talked about income inequality. Personally, I was like, why are we propping up the markets when it's really that supports rich people like we just talked about, I don't know, an episode or two ago. If you're invested in the markets, you're already doing better financially than the majority of people in this country. So let's remember the people who are about to lose their jobs or have nowhere to go or their small businesses are closing down. And let's really think about how we can support people like in real life who need support. And taking that a little further, there are even bigger issues if you're homeless. For the homeless, imagine, I mean, how do you wash your hands for 20 seconds if you don't have access to running water, soap, hand sanitizer, and toilet paper that people have been hoarding? So it's great to see certain cities are stepping up to help. In the Seattle area, the county government bought an old motel to isolate coronavirus victims and let those who don't need hospitalization recuperate your town, San Francisco area, Greater Bay Area, I mean, not exactly your town, but that whole area, they plan to lease motorhomes that could be parked in the city's really pretty Presidio. Oh my gosh, I mispronounced Presidio. it. Presidio. Park. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I love San Fran. <laughs> Surrounding the Golden Gate Bridge, right? You know, that whole area. So there's housing for the homeless who are under quarantine. In San Jose, California, they're suspending its homeless camp eradication sweeps saying that if you force homeless people to move, that could heighten exposure to the virus. And in LA, they're considering whether to provide more sanitation stations to homeless encampments. I mean, if you think about the destitute, they often live in crowded encampments where the bathroom is an alley. Trash in the vicinity can attract rats and fleas. And you'd imagine disease in the encampments can spread quickly and easily. And in LA alone, the homeless and those who care for them have had to deal with outbreaks of hepatitis A and typhus even before coronavirus arrived. So here's a statement from Maria Foscarinas, who's the executive director of the National Law Center on Homelessness and Poverty. But she says right now, at a minimum, 
People living on the streets need access to basic services like water and sanitation. Yeah. And I mean, I know a lot of these stats are from the West Coast, but I think that this is obviously it is a problem everywhere. And so definitely be aware of what your community is doing to make sure that everyone, all parts of our community, everyone in it stays safe. But, you know, and I think as the theme of this episode in general, when we are collectively faced with something with this level of uncertainty, you know, as global citizens, as humans, we have certain responsibilities to ourselves and to others. So from our favorite Fortune Race Ahead blogger, Ellen McGird, who has been sending out some pretty amazing things about COVID-19, here are five ideas to help lighten the burden of COVID-19 basically for everyone. The first is be a good bystander. So depending on where you live, that tension level that you feel, you know, when you walk outside, if you can still go outside, can be really high and it moves higher quickly. So if you think about who you interact with, cashiers, flight attendants, delivery people, you know, policemen, bus drivers, mail carriers, food servers, pharmacists, help desk personnel, you know, for so many working people, that public interaction is now really difficult. So, you know, when you're seeing the cashier at the grocery store who has probably dealt with things that you haven't even imagined were part of that person's role, be extra kind. But if you see something like an Asian Pacific Islander person being bullied or targeted because of their perceived connection to the virus, be a good bystander and intervene if you feel able. You know, bystander advice draws from a range of situations, but the practices always apply. So there are some tips that she has posted on, you know, through the Fortune Race Ahead site about how to stay safe when intervening in person. And also, you know, there is, especially as we've moved more online, you know, you may want to think about ways to stay safe, but while addressing online harassment as well. Extra bonus points, as we've discussed, if you stop people from calling it the Chinese coronavirus, because that is racist. Yes, it is. <laughs> Tip number two from Ellen McGirt, consider over tipping which I like this because I hadn't thought about it. But, you know, you might be traveling less, but you might still be encountering people who rely on tips for their living. So if you think about any grab and go food services that you're getting, if you're uh, the hotel custodial staff, delivery people, taxi or rideshare drivers, consider doubling what you might normally tip them because you personally are probably going to be spending less in the near future because we're not going to be going to restaurants or bars and it'll make a big difference to them. So it'll be a wash. Tip the people if you're interacting because it'll probably balance out in the long run. Yes. And one thing that's been a big discussion here, especially in shelter in place, is what do you do about the people who provide services in your lives daily, like your dog walker, let's say, your house cleaners. If you're not interacting with them and they are relying solely on these, you know, paid visits, if it's possible, if you can think about paying them still what you would have paid them, that may make a huge difference in someone's life that may not be such an impact in yours. Right. And I'm sure you've heard this about like small businesses or restaurants. Consider buying gift cards now. Yes. Buy them online. So they're getting the money now and you can go spend it and buy your thing later when all the restrictions have been lifted. But for small businesses, having income now is critical. Yes, because their leases, all of the payments out that they're supposed to be making are probably not really being abated. It's just their income in. So 
you know, and Sarah, you talked about this earlier to some degree in terms of in our era of social distancing, there will be people who will be isolated by themselves. But apart from COVID-19, there are plenty of people who are already socially isolated. So while social distancing may be a new term for most of us, there are plenty of folks who are distant by default rather than design. This whole scenario has to be particularly frightening if you're older, if you're trying to manage an illness or disability, if you're chronically lonely, or simply if you're just new to your job or to a neighborhood. Now would be a good time to reach out from a safe distance, you know, including all the technology we just discussed or, you know, the phone and find out how they're doing. And if you're thinking about how to be a better ally in these times, too, How about reaching out to the person who, you know, might be that minority person, might be the person who looks different than you are, that you sort of know at work and make a connection? You know, nothing says neutral common ground like a non-discriminatory killer virus that you both now have in common. (laughs) It's so true. Again, why is not the Chinese coronavirus? Like, I feel like this is just a equal opportunity killer. Yep. (sighs) All right. Number four, I would say this is also interesting. Understand how the COVID-19 response interacts with public policy. Don't spit out your coffee that you're drinking right now with my singing, Misasha. Oh my God. (laughs) I really wish you had never sung that. We talked about a lot of the things that are happening, but there's a range of temporary unemployment insurance or paid sick day schemes that are being discussed on the state, local, and now federal level too. And they're designed to allow low-wage workers or anyone without benefits to stay safely at home without totally destroying their finances. But going back to what we just talked about, the vulnerable populations, the elderly poor, people who are homeless, housing insecure, people in jail. We just talked to Ji Sun Song. She just posted stuff about what are we doing about the juveniles who are in prison right now? How is that not going to sweep through? What do we do with these children who are currently incarcerated? So give some thought to what you think is the right way to mitigate their risk of infection and illness. We talked about some of them, but how can you help in your community thinking beyond just you, but for people who really might not have anyone else to look out for them? Yeah, because as an attorney, I've been getting all these notices about how the courts, a lot of the practice is being of law is being suspended or changed in a certain way. And that includes public defenders, and that includes people who are out there generally advocating for the people who don't have anyone to advocate for them. So if you're in the habit of thinking, that's why there's legal aid, that's why there's all these things, there isn't that right now. So these people need all of us more than ever. And I loved, and this last one was heartbreaking as well, because in a time where we're being told to stay at home, it's really important to remember that not everyone is safe in their home. Around 12 million people are hurt, harassed, stalked, or raped by an intimate partner every year. The total cost to the U.S. economy of intimate violence exceeds $8 billion a year, costing some close to $728 million in lost productivity alone. For a person at risk, this puts working from home in a terrifying light. And as Race Ahead has covered before, the vast majority of companies don't have a formal domestic violence policy. And if they don't have one, they're sure not making one right this second. So if you're in a position to support, create, or communicate workplace benefits designed to help people who may be dealing with intimate partner violence, now would be a really, really great time to do so. That is striking. Like I just had a thud of, wow, I also never thought of that. 
Yeah. Let's just remember, as we wrap up this episode, nothing is more unifying than something that attacks us all, regardless of what we look like or who we are. I mean, rich, poor, black, white, you get the picture. We have it in all of us to support ourselves and take care of each other during this time period. So while basically nothing else might be normal, our sense of humanity and decency should be. We're with you on this. And so we are sending out virtual elbow bumps and thumbs up as we speak. Till next time. If you like what you've heard or you like what you're hearing, please take a second to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use. It would mean a lot. That helps us spread the word about our podcast. Or if you're into direct sharing, tell a friend or five about us. And if you want any more information, go to our website at dearwhitewomen.com. We've got all the past episodes, email signups, and all our social media links from there so you can stay connected and get all the bonus material that we offer.